So I want to start off by, by asking you a question. Do you have a favorite candy? Now, let me be specific. When I say candy, I mean hard candy, like a lifesaver or some sort of mint. Anybody have a favorite candy? All right. So a number of years ago, I got hooked on Trader Joe's green tea mints. Anybody ever have those? Okay. Trader Joe's green tea mints, all natural ingredients, fabulous flavor. So one day, Laura goes to Trader Joe's and she gets me a refill of these green tea mints. She gives me the container. I pop open the container. I put one in my mouth and I spit it out. A couple hours later, I thought, let me try it again. So I got another one. I put it in my mouth and I spit it out. And I assumed at the time that that container had been on the shelf too long. Maybe the stock didn't get rotated. Maybe it was just a little bit stale. So the next time I go to Trader Joe's, I grab a container of Trader Joe's green tea mints. I open the container. I pop one in my mouth. No sooner does that mint hit my tongue and I spit it out. But it tasted awful. To find out, they changed the formula. They changed the recipe. And I no longer found it appealing. I haven't had one since. It's been years. And the truth is, when you change just one ingredient, you can completely ruin something that previously had been appealing. So what I'd like for us to do for the next few minutes as we go through this passage in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, I want us to consider a guiding question. And the question is this. As the local church, how do we keep from altering ourselves in such a way that we become unappealing and ineffective for Jesus Christ? Brian, thanks for reading Revelation 3. Appreciate that. And, and we see in this passage, the first thing that, that John does is to identify who Jesus is. So if you look at verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So the first thing that John does here, he identifies Jesus as the Amen. If you have been in church any amount of time, you have heard that word more times than you can count, right? We've heard it this morning already. And it's an important word. In the Hebrew language, the word Amen is a term of confirmation. When you say amen, it's like saying yes with an exclamation point. Very emphatic. An example of this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So all God's promises from, from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, through the entirety of the Bible... All God's promises find their confirmation, find their emphatic yes with an exclamation point in the person of Jesus Christ. So John identifies Jesus as the Amen, the faithful and true witness. In Luke chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said that no one knows who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. As the faithful and true witness... Jesus has firsthand testimony regarding what he's seen, what he's experienced, what he knows to be true about God the Father. And then finally, 
John identifies Jesus as the beginning of God's creation. Now, being, being identified as the beginning or the first is highly significant here because it refers to a divine title. Back in that day, the, the emperor of Rome considered himself, called himself the first among Romans. He considered himself to be deity, as if he were a god. So the church at Laodicea, they understood this reference of the beginning or the first, pointing to identifying Jesus as deity, Jesus as God. Revelation 21, 6, Jesus says, I am the Alpha, I'm the beginning. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first. And in Colossians 1:15, we read that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So in this introduction here, we see that Jesus is the amen. He's the emphatic yes. He's the assurance of all God's promises. He's the true and faithful witness who's seen, experienced, and knows God the Father. And he is the beginning. He's the first. He is deity where everything and everyone finds its origin. Is everybody with me so far? All right, get a nod to the heads. All right. So now that we know who Jesus is, what does Jesus have to say? Verse 15 says this. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither cold, neither cold and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Ancient sources tell us that the city of Laodicea had a serious water problem. Their drinking water was full of sediment. They couldn't drink it. And the archives show when they excavated the city, the pipes they dug up were lined. They were coated with a thick lime. And this contaminates water. But Laodicea had no direct water supply. They would have to go to maybe some nearby mountains to get some cold water from the streams or maybe a place like Heropolis where they had hot springs. They had to source in their water. And the problem is, by the time you piped the water into the city, it was lukewarm. Jesus paints some very vivid imagery here. He makes a plea to the church. He says, church, I want you to make a choice. Be one or the other. Be, be cold and refreshing, for instance. Refreshing, like the mountain streams. Or be hot and soothing, like the springs in a place like nearby Heropolis. Instead, Jesus says, as a church, you are lukewarm. There's a spiritual contamination, if you will, that's taken place. And it's made you as a church distasteful to me. So let me ask you a question. I like your feedback this morning. You can actually shout out your answer. When do you spit food or drink out of your mouth? What do you think? When it's too hot, okay. When else? When it's no good, right? You're going to spit something out of your mouth when it's displeasing to you, whether it's temperature, whether it's taste, whether it's texture. It's distasteful, it's gone bad, and for whatever reason, it's no longer pleasing, so it's not going to stay in your mouth any longer. Kind of like those green tea mints from Trader Joe's, I tell you. And Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth because you have been compromised and it's caused you to be distasteful it's caused you to be ineffective as my church and I'd like to encourage us this morning as as first as a brother 
in Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, I want to encourage you, it's healthy for us from time to time as a church to stop and reassess things and and ask the question, have we made or, or are we making a definitive choice about who we are as collective followers of Jesus? Have we made a decision about who we are as the local church? Or is it possible we're kind of just playing it safe? We're in the middle, we're undecided, we're, we're non-committal, like that lukewarm water. Water that is distasteful. It's unpleasant. It's ineffective. And it's ready to be spit out. So Jesus continues here in his rebuke in verse 17. Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, the city of Laodicea flourished as a wealthy banking center. They had a theater, they had gladiator games. And I would say to you, this can potentially be a problem for the church then and, and now. When, when we're around or we're, we experience worldly success or financial prosperity, it runs, runs the risk of skewing our perspective. It can give us a false sense of security. So how do we keep from developing a false sense of security as the church, where we somehow think that we have everything together and we don't have a need for anything? Not even for Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. If, if it were me, if I were writing this letter to the church at Laodicea, I would have approached the church differently than Jesus has thus far. I just would have done it different. I would have come to the church and I would have said, hey, let's gather around. You know, let's have a, let's have a church picnic. Or if you're Lakeview, you know, you have a chili fest, right? We'll have a chili fest. And I'd say, hey, things seem to be off course a little bit. So let's regroup, let's reassess, let's refocus. But when you read Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is not suggesting a minor tweak here. Without apology, Jesus says, you have a false sense of security. And he digs down and he gets specific. He says, as the local church, you're wretched. You're spiritually distressed. As the local church, you're pitiable. You're downright miserable. As the local church, Jesus says you're poor. You're helpless. You're destitute. Jesus says, as the local church, you're blind. You are so blind, you can't even see what's in front of you. And worst of all, Jesus says, as the local church, you're naked. You're inappropriate and you're improper. So I want to bring us back to our, our guiding question for this morning. As the local church, how do we keep from altering ourselves in such a way that we become unappealing and ineffective for Jesus Christ? Jesus offers an answer. He gives some corrective action here in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. If you know anything about gold, when it's refined, it has no impurities. And it gives us this picture, this understanding that the wealth Jesus has to offer us as the church has 
zero defects. The wealth that Jesus has to offer us is perfect. What Jesus has to offer us, maybe you need to hear this this morning. I don't know where you're at with with your life, with COVID, with so many things that we deal with as, as people, as individuals, and as a society. But Jesus offers a sure sense of security that will not fade. Matthew 6.20 says, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Revelation 3, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. So Jesus references here a spiritual nakedness. And to understand spiritual nakedness, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So you get it? Absolutely no clothes on and there was nothing wrong. There was nothing sinful. There was nothing dirty about it. It was completely fine. They were naked and they felt no shame. A chapter later, after eating from the, the forbidden tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, in Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then finally, God calls out. He's looking for Adam and Eve. In verse 10 of Genesis chapter 3, God's calling out, and Adam answers God. And he says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked so i hid adam and eve's awareness of their nakedness is the result of their sin before god being naked was not the issue the issue was disobedience eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that god had asked them not to that was the issue sin was the issue and revelation chapter 3 tells us that jesus is the only one that can take away our naked Shame, that separation from God that's caused by our sin, just like Adam and Eve. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy for me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. When we talk about salve, an example of this would be John chapter 9, verse 6. This blind man came to Jesus. And Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. So Jesus makes a a homemade salve, if you will. And the man is healed of his blindness. And then later in the, in the passage, verse 38, the man declared, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The truth is, Jesus is the only one who can bring spiritual sight to us. That we can see, that we can know, that we can enter into a personal, intimate, dynamic relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Everybody still with me so far? Okay. Yeah, if you shook your head, no, I, I got nothing else. So. <laughs> so yeah, not is always good. So, so Jesus is given a rebuke. He's given corrective action. And now Jesus gives an encouragement. I, I absolutely love when Jesus gives us encouragement. And he says this, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
So let me ask you a question. Anybody here have kids? Grandkids? Nieces? Nephews? I don't know, maybe you're barring somebody's kids today. Um, have you ever had those children act out? Or misbehave? Or throw a temper tantrum? Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, on the way to church this morning. Uh, and I will be honest with you and say that sometimes... I have disciplined my children out of annoyance. Sometimes I've reproved them out of my anger. And in frustration, I have raised my voice to uncalled for decibels. And my face is contorted and wasn't very pleasing to look at, I'm sure. And I've learned that none of these approaches is effective because when I act in that manner, I'm not doing it out of a motive of care. But instead, I'm, I'm retaliating at my children. I'm putting myself at odds with them. I am, in fact, having an adult temper tantrum to trump their child temper tantrum. What an awful thing for a grown adult to do. But Jesus wants us as a church to experience his reproof and his discipline Because he says, I'm warning you because I love you. I'm warning you because I'm passionate about you, because I care about you. And I'm giving you an invitation to repent, to turn to me, to come to me. So whereas my approach, and I don't know if you can identify with this as a parent or not, but sometimes my approach has been of annoyance. It's been anger. It's been frustration. The raising of my voice. Jesus... He approaches with a knock and he invites us to respond to him, to re-engage in personal relationship with him. And let me, let me stop and say this. I am really sorry this morning. I truly am sorry if you've had parents, if you've had grandparents, aunts and uncles, spouses. Maybe you've had past experiences with church leaders and you've been treated with something less than care. I'm sorry that you've experienced that. But Jesus, he stands at the door and he's knocking, not banging, not raising his voice, not giving a dirty look to kill. He's knocking at the door, inviting you, pleading with you, pleading for us as a church to respond to him. That's Jesus. Verse 21, he continues. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a very personal invitation from Jesus. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Do you understand what he's just done To the church, he just invited the church to sit down next to him on his throne. Nobody gets to do that with a king. Apparently you do with King Jesus. You're invited to sit right next to him on his throne as a church. That's the invitation that's given. And embedded in that invitation is a reminder that like Jesus, we also will conquer sin and death. Let me bring you back to our question for this morning. 
as the local church, how do we keep from altering ourselves in such a way that we become unappealing and ineffective for Jesus Christ? I would simply say to you, we respond to the knock of Jesus. Jesus is knocking. He's inviting. He's calling from a pure motive of love. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Jesus, we, we call out to you this morning as your church. And we pray that you would you'd give us eyes to see. Lord, open our eyes that they would be fully open to see. That you would, you'd give us hearts that would be, that'd be open, that'd be moldable. They, they'd be yielded to you. And we are so desperate in, especially the day and age we live, we are so desperate for you to reframe our minds, to, to as Scripture says in Colossians, to, to set our minds on things above, not on, on earthly things. And we pray this morning, Jesus, that you would you teach us, Lord, with, with greater measure, in, in increasing measure, would you teach us how to love each other, our own children, and, and the people in this room at Lakeview Community Church, would you teach us to love each other without reserve, without conditions, without prerequisites, and without judgment? Would you help us to look at, at you and, and not look at, oh my goodness, all, all the things that swirl around us politically and socially. Would you not allow us to look at the conventions around us as if they were a source of hope and stability? And can we look at your word? Would you, would you help us to see in your word that the discipline and rebuke that you offer is a loving call to us? Lord, it's a, it's a call to, to re-engage an intimate personal relationship with you as your church. Would you help us today to cling to you, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation? And all God's people said, amen. Amen. That's the emphatic yes with the exclamation point.